Good morning, everybody. I'm trapped by my mask. Anybody else feel that way? Okay, crud. Here we go. There we go. All right, we're having a little bit of a lighting problem here today, so maybe we may be a little bit dim. Apologize for that. Um, I don't know. Y'all going to try to restart it, or does it matter? The less of me you see, probably the better. Frankly, okay. Well, hey, um, I want to mention a prayer request that didn't come up. I don't think uh, for uh, there's a, a family of ours that lives over in Boulder, uh, Sega and Rob, and uh, this is another one of those family situations. Sega's sister, who she's very very close to, uh, is dying of cancer, and just has a couple of days left. And so, I want to add that to the prayer list. And just if y'all will remember, her name's Bunky. So. Uh, just a hard thing when you're losing dear, close family members at, at Thanksgiving time, you know. So, uh, am I even darker now? Okay, it's coming. Well, it's good to be with all of you. I saw a few of you that I haven't seen in a little bit uh, here, so welcome back. Good to have you guys. It looks like a lot of our college kids are probably out with the disease. Um, not sure, but at least laying low down there. But uh, it's good to be to have as many people as we can together in one place. Welcome to all of you who are online. We're super glad to have time with you as well. Uh, my, I, I, I want to say something quick about my dad and Thanksgiving. Um, he's, uh, he's 90, and he lives in a, a care facility down in, in East Texas. And so he's been basically in prison for, you know, since March. Right, and he can only have two people to come see him, and it and they can't get there often, and he, it's really a real difficult situation. I know we're all have that, but my dad has this thing that I hope I have when I get there is that he's thankful for something no matter what. And just as we're going through Thanksgiving, I just kept thinking of how in the world is my dad thankful? Like this is literally what my dad will say. I'll say, "Hey, dad, how's it going?" He's well, I love the food here, and he goes, and you know. At least I'm not really in prison. I'm like, that is awesome. If, if I'm 90 and I've been trapped in, he's been in there for like eight years. It's like, it's like he's in the big house. You know, he's in there, right? We get in, we got to break him out somehow. Uh, but he's, uh, it's just such an incredible thing to see someone who is, uh, really facing a lot of loneliness. It just makes me really sad to think of all those years of life and, you know, you pour so much into so many people and then you're totally isolated and you know a nurse who comes in and she's masked up or he's masked up all the time. And uh, so we have got, it reminds me, we have just got to be thankful. Thank goodness we have that holiday in America, right? So it may be tough, but we're going to be thankful because we're not in prison, all right? (laughs) Um, Man. And we did just turn the corner, Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving evening, and then it was Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't know if that happened to you, but the decorations went up, the movies came on, all of that stuff starts. Uh, and, you know, those, these are fun times. Uh, as we roll up and move into that Christmas time, it just, it, in the, the snow comes and we just start to experience all this outdoor stuff that's this time of year. Uh, we are simultaneously at Obi Joyful celebrating Advent. So we're looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. 
And we've kind of designed our own Advent season uh, based on other traditions. We've, we've kind of gathered those together. And I want to give you a quick outline of what the next four weeks look like. Today, we're going to talk about this, the need for a Messiah. This all circles around a Messiah, the one who rescues, the one who comes for others, the Messiah. So the first one today is the need for the Messiah. The second one is the promise of the Messiah. So we'll be looking at the scripture and seeing how the Messiah was shown to us so that we could identify him when he showed up. There would be no question, that's the one, right? All of these things will show us. And the next one is the hope of the Messiah. So what that promise, what that need produces is a hope. And that hope was realized, of course, in Jesus Christ. And so the fourth time, we're gonna celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. That's the fourth Sunday. And uh, then we'll have a special service Christmas Eve, which hopefully all of us will be a part of together online. We'll just join in and and see what that's like. It'll be a little bit different than before, but we're going to make the best of that and be thankful, right? And enjoy that. And so uh, the Sunday after Christmas as well, we'll start to look forward to what the Messiah looks like in the future, uh, after the church age, when, when things look different, when we get into Revelation and where that's going. So that's all coming. Uh, but today, the need for a Messiah. So uh, it would be wrong for me to say that we, the Messiah doesn't, didn't come for us because we needed him. That is true. The Messiah, Jesus, came because we needed him, because our sin separated us from him. But what would be even more true, a more overarching, more permanent, more, uh, uh, the, the real reason, I guess I would say, that we need a Messiah is that God had an incredible desire to have relationship with us. It wasn't because of our need, it was because of his desire to have relationship with us that we need a Messiah. Do you see, I'm trying to show you the other side of the coin, which is a much more important, it's the whole coin. The problem that has to be overcome is this, the incredible offense and cost of our sin. That's the problem that has to be overcome in order for us to be in relationship with him, to experience what the Messiah brings, a reunited relationship with the God of the universe. So it's not as much about What we need is what God wants with us. Okay, now, it's going to be hard for me as as an okay teacher to be able to get across to you how incredibly unfathomable it is about the things I'm going to talk to you about today. In fact, that very truth that I just shared. It is truly unbelievable that the God of the universe wants to come to us. We think it's all about our need for him, but it's because he wants to be with us so much that he would go to all of these links to reunite us with himself. And then at that point, not even make us do it, to still leave it open to us to make the decision by faith to step into relationship with him. Okay, three things we're gonna look through as we walk through and and look at this passage that Kaylin read to us just a minute ago. Uh, One is this, real righteousness Right? You may have noticed the word righteousness crop up a few times in the passage she read from Romans. Second, his redemption, the redemption of Jesus, what that looks like. And then we're going to talk about our Redeemer himself. All right, So righteousness, redemption, and Redeemer. Three big R words that are uh, big Bible words as well. 
So admittedly, as we get into this real righteousness section of what I want to say to you this morning, uh, these are churchy words, righteousness, redemption, uh, redeemer. Um, What I really hope is that when we walk away from here, some of the richness of these words, the depth of meaning that's just so uh, unfathomable really will just creep into your heart, that we'll just come away with a little bit of the intensity of what these words really mean and what they help us to understand about our need for a Messiah as we come into this season, as we kick it off right now. So uh, let me ask you this, especially if you're online and you have time to sit back and think for a second, uh, what is your definition of righteousness? When you think of righteousness, what comes to mind? Now, literally, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is maybe it's because of, uh, I know I'm going to speak about it, and so that, that comes into my head, this comes into my head, but it's this, that in the 70s, when something was really cool, then my friends would say, that's righteous. But we'd say it with like an inflection, righteous, right? There was like a feeling behind it, like I, I see that thing, or that girl, or that whatever, that is righteous, okay? Now, it equates, though, to those of you who are born after that period, to saying that is sick. It's the same kind of thing, okay? It's just sort of a little bit different words. I'm not sure we're going to put sick in here, right, in the scripture. But, you know, you say sick with an inflection, do you not? Sick. You don't say, oh, that's sick, right? So righteousness, sick, they're kind of the same thing. Um, but when we think of righteousness from a biblical point of view, uh, I tend to think of it uh, as as the sort of a dictionary definition, the uh, complete moral otherness, the complete moral perfection of God. The, that's my Bible sort of understanding. Moral perfection. It's so far out there. God's righteousness is so far out there that I can't understand it. it. I can never measure up to that. It's never going to be mine. It's always his so far away. And that is true. But I want to um, ask you to listen to the passage. I'm going to read it. and Listen for the word righteousness. And I'm just going to read the first two uh, verses of this. And I want you to, to um, uh, think about your definition of righteousness. Maybe it's that one. And we're going to try to get the real definition of godly righteousness out in front of us. So from 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They show it to us. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus is for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we could easily see that there is this distinction between God's moral perfection, which it is clearly talking about, and the sinners who are us who can never achieve that and never close that gap. But there's something we really have to understand about the righteousness of God that takes spending time in the word to find. It's much, much more than moral perfection. It's much more than what separates us from him. Uh, it's, it's more about what God is doing. So in verse 21, it says, you can see it up here, the righteousness of God. So to, that sounds like when we read it, it's just about the moral perfection of God. The moral perfection of God is manifested and shown through the law, right? Right? But there's so much more, and it gets, it gets fleshed out and, and sort of built out, and you can see it when you read both of them. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to his righteousness. 
the righteousness of God is something that he is actively doing. It's not just a noun. It's not just something that, is, uh, that, that shows what is different about him. His righteousness is about his mission to make possible a restored relationship with us. Okay? So righteousness is a whole lot more than just the difference between us and him. Righteousness is his work to reunite him with himself through faith. Can you see it in the passage? It's not just talking about moral otherness. It's talking about something he is doing, something that was manifested, something that is shown, something that the prophets told us about, a righteousness of God that comes through faith. The righteousness of God is being made right with him. It's what he is doing. This is a beautiful thing. What he is doing is completely tied up in who he is and his moral perfection. In his, his, uh, the perfect will of our God to bring us into the, a right relation, a righteous relationship with him. So we have, uh, or the way, you know, so I described, I have this one version of righteousness, which is like, that's a really cool thing. That's a good thing. That's something that should be elevated and seen as good. And then there's this righteousness that's so much more robust, and that's the otherness of God, his perfection. And then there's righteousness that is redeeming righteousness, the work he's doing, this action word. Made me think of uh, um, when Leonardo da Vinci was painting. Uh, you may not know this, or maybe do. There's only 15 extant known paintings of Leonardo da Vinci. And we might have, I always thought there was a whole bunch more, but there's just a few. However, when he was being trained to be a painter uh, or an artist, he, uh, all he did was reproduce these uh, Madonna and child uh, pictures that everybody had on their mantle in Italy. So they'd make, they made them over and over. So he worked, he was a, uh, an apprentice. They made picture after picture after picture after picture based on the model of the original that the guy who ran this art house had. So they would just draw that. This whole team of people would draw that or paint that picture again and again. There's a lot of Leonardo da Vinci pictures, that paint, paintings that were made. Now, only 15 still exist. But if... I'm not going to lie. It feels a little like the Death Star, you know, <laughs> when they're like, mm, pushing those levers for Um, Wow, that's completely different. Um, a, an original da Vinci is worth an unbelievable amount of money, right? The original. Lots and lots of people, even he, what he did was then he went and had his own uh, mentorships and he would teach people how to paint like him. So they would paint his pictures, right? So there's a lot of copies of his stuff. We really have to get back to the authentic, true, original understanding and the beauty of what the word here means, righteousness means. We have to understand the depth of it so that we, we're not looking at a facsimile that came out much longer. We're looking at that incredibly value, valuable original that had all the meaning in the hand of the master on it. Righteousness means more than what separates us from him, what it means is his active work to draw him, draw us to himself. So, 
Here is a little um, thought about what real righteousness is for God. It is what is most right. That right relationship with him is made possible. That is most righteous in God's mind. So I'm trying to help us move from this one view of righteousness to a fuller view of it, almost like we had the original Defingi sitting here. We're like, oh my God, and an artist, uh, you know, uh, somebody at the museum, the docent was explaining to us how incredibly beautiful and why it's so important to understand every little piece of this. Let me read this to you. Our typical view of righteousness is that it's a separator, a line of division, and that's true. We'll never be worthy of being in the presence of God. But a full understanding of his righteousness is not about separation, but closing the distance between us. So, now, I'm going to put in a little definition of my own for righteousness into that same passage. But now, the passionate work of God to bring us into right relationship with himself has been manifested, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The restored relationship with God through faith in Jesus, is for all who believe. So we have a bigger understanding of what it means to be, to understand God's, God's righteousness. He's closing this insurmountable gap. So the reason for a Messiah is not just that we need him, that we sinned and rebelled, but it's because of his desire for relationship with us that he has always had since he created us. That's why we need need his righteousness. So, that's the first word. Redemption is the second word. This is, uh, redemption is righteousness revealed. I think is probably the easiest way to say that. It's the thing that closes the gap between us. And what I want to do is... uh, say a word about uh, this redemption that's really important, and I'm going to break it out for you just in a moment, but let me say this. Uh, It's a word that may, for some of you who studied theology a little bit, may um, make you stumble just a little bit. Uh, It's about the universality of his redemption. Now, I don't mean it's about universalism. Universalism is that everyone is just welcomed into relationship with God. There's no faith. There's nothing that happens. It's just what God does. And it doesn't matter how you find him, you just get there. That is not a biblical statement. I'm not talking about universalism. I'm talking about the universal beauty, uh, universal extent of what his redemption does. And this is super important stuff for us to understand. And hopefully the richness of the word will come to bear here. Here's the two ideas. His redemption is available to every single person. It is universally available. And second, all people are responsible for its horrible and unthinkable cost. Okay? These are the two aspects of the universal uh, sense of the meaning of redemption. It It extends to the opportunity for redemption extends to everyone. The cost, the price that was paid was because of everyone, okay? We all had a hand in it. And so I want to show you those really briefly. Um, first, redemption is available to all. And again, Paul says this stuff. It's, it's beautiful in this one passage. 
Um, it would have been shocking for him to say this. In fact, I can almost bet you that when Paul was first writing these words or thinking about writing these words, that it blew him away. That he was like, I can't believe that I'm saying these things. He was saying something that he taught absolutely against his whole life until he was converted by Christ. Consistently, right? Here he is, right here, he's saying that righteousness The righteousness of God, redemption, is available to every single person. In fact, it's offered and meant for every single person, not just for Jewish people, not just for this one family, which is what he taught. This would be like AOC tweeting out a really big thumbs up to like Eric and Rudy and Ivanka. It's not going to happen, okay? This is a situation. You guys, come on. That was funny. I worked on that. It's funny. (laughs) She, AOC is not going to do that. These masks are killing me. All right, I don't know. Or maybe I'm just not funny. Okay, that's fine too. I, I, yeah, something happened in March. Just, um, so listen to this. The righteousness, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. Paul would not be able to believe that he was saying that. There is no distinction uh-uh. That, that's not the words of a high, highly educated Jewish guy. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, implied, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And let me point out to you while that passage is up there, that the word righteousness that you see, is it in this? Yeah, righteousness of God, is the same word as justified in Greek. So you guys who want to study that and follow up on it, it's pretty amazing, uh, but I'm gonna, I have to leave that out for the moment. I mean, remember Peter? Peter was a guy who had to be taught over and over by God that the gospel was for everybody. Remember his dream of all the food coming down, he could have it? Peter was rejecting spending time with people, actually getting up from the table when Gentiles approached, like people that weren't Jewish. Peter, Right? The rock that the church is built on. That guy is getting up and walking away from people who God had said, who Paul was teaching was for everybody. God had revealed to Peter the gospel was for everyone. It's hard for us to see that because we don't feel like we judge like that. Because we all feel included. But we would, none of us be included. We would all, Peter would have gotten up and walked away, right, from us because we are those Gentile people. The righteousness of God is for all who believe, all right? Right here in Romans. This passage is amazingly important to understanding the gospel. It's for all. The sacrifice of the Redeemer, which we'll talk about in a minute, was for all. All right, so that, the first idea that we just mentioned is that this is something that's universally available to all people, but it came at a cost, and the cost is on the backs of, of all people. His redemption overcomes the sin of all of us. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Such a critical understanding uh, of, of theology is all built into this one passage. All have sinned. That sin separates us from the God of the universe. That's what's broken and what has to be overcome. We don't like to talk about sin much. Sin is another one of those big or smaller but important Bible words. Uh, we're, we're like 
I'm like a kid, a rebellious kid who's like, I'm not going to get hurt if I run on the highway. And so I run out onto the highway with the car speeding by, my parents are on the side, and I get, and I happen to be in the lane, you know, just between the lanes on the white line. And I like hold up my middle finger to my family. And I say, you know what? I'm fine. Look, it all worked out. It's all good. In fact, look at my friends. They're doing the same thing. This is how we treat God. But then I see a Skittle and I lean over to get it and I get knocked out, right? Come on, y'all. Good night. Is this on? Are y'all just, okay. So we just don't understand the magnitude of sin. We don't understand it. We think that what we do, and if we'll just, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn all our actions. I'm not trying to say, um, I'm not trying to shame anybody. The, the reality is we're born sinners and then we actually act on that. And we, we think that because we're standing on the white line of the highway that it's okay. Because other people are standing there too, that it's all gonna be fine. We just don't understand the magnitude of sin. We just can't get it. I mean, hey, my friend's doing it and nothing's happening, right? It's my body. It's my decision. I'm not hurting anyone else. We all made this decision together. My friend group thinks it's okay. It must be all right. And this happens whether you're in middle school, high school, college, on up. It doesn't matter how old you are. We're all evaluating based on what's happening with other people. And we're saying, I'm just not quite that bad, Right? We just think because we can't tell the consequences that everything's cool. And it's not. And we don't know how far across the line we've gone when we just simply cross the line a little bit. When we know. I mean, you have to, you probably know, I'm going to go back and just say, think of those first humans, right? Chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. They didn't think it was a big deal. Right? They had somebody they sort of trusted saying, hey, what, you know what? This is a good thing. You should check this out. Right? Only one thing had God said you can't have. You can have everything else and do everything else here, but there's just this one thing. One thing. One thing. And what's the, what's the one thing they had to do? And I bet it tasted sweet for just a minute. Right? And then I bet it was so freaking bitter. So bitter. And all of us, all of us probably of any age in here have experienced that at some level. We just don't actually know how bitter it was. And they didn't know how bitter what they did was. They didn't know the consequences. They didn't know that their personal private sin would have such an incredible consequence for all of us, for all time, that we would inherit that through our blood. They could have never understood the crushing pain that it would cause us or the pain that it would cause the Father and the Son and the Spirit because of what Jesus would have to do. So the bottom line is, is this around our redemption. We have to remember not to underestimate the sin that we commit or that we have inherited. And remember that what happens is that his redemption, the work that he does for us, is more costly than we could ever imagine because we never could, we could never get in touch with the actual cost. He goes to outrageous lengths to bring his righteousness to bear in redemption. Okay, so 
A little bit about righteousness, a little bit about redemption, and then a little bit about our Redeemer, the third big word. Um, So, I think that news so far that I've been sharing with you about those two words is really powerful and really important. But if we go back to uh, that first verse that we read in verse 21 of chapter 3, it says, God's righteousness was manifested. His work, what he was doing, his righteousness, the thing he is about was manifested. It became real, and it became real in the person of Jesus Christ. It was shown by, proclaimed by the prophets. It was talked about by the law, or he was, and it was manifested in Jesus, our Redeemer. Uh, Jesus speaks of this himself in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mountain, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to do that at all, but to fulfill them. It's almost like Paul has this in mind when he's bringing up this whole idea. He's, he's trying to help these things in the scripture kind of resonate with each other. The cost of our sin has to be paid for. And Jesus is the one, the redeemer, to pay for it. The law reveals our sin and Jesus pays for it. Um, I want to share with you a couple of passages that are later in the New Testament. Uh, and now that you have a, a more just at the moment, bigger idea maybe of righteousness, I hope you'll let the word leap out at you from the page or off of the screen. Um, God's passion is to bring us into right relationship with him. That's his righteousness. And it's done through the Redeemer, who is Jesus. So 1 Peter 2.24, look at this. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The magnitude of sin, the idea of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see how righteousness is not just a simple word? It's not just about his moral otherness. Jesus is our redeemer. He is the fulfillment of God's righteousness. He is God's righteousness manifested. That is a beautiful thing. If you just had a few verses from the scripture ever in your hands, I'm not sure which ones you would choose. I would be close to choosing chapter three of Romans. Unbelievably powerful. Um, let me ask the crew to come back up and I want to share with you just one last thought. I'm going to drop back into uh, the Hebrew scripture. So we're going to go back like 800 years before Jesus, 700 and something years to Isaiah. And again, we're going to use our understanding of the word righteousness. This is in the Hebrew scripture, so it's earlier, right? It's a different word but the ideas are the same. And the idea of the Messiah is just beginning to percolate up, especially in Isaiah. And we're in Isaiah 56, so it's really been uh, coming to uh, a place where you could see him. You could see the actual Messiah. You could actually pick Jesus out of the crowd because of what what Isaiah says about him. But look at this. In Isaiah 56, 1. Okay. 
Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come. Soon my salvation will come. And my righteousness will be revealed. Do you know what um, the word... uh, Salvation is in Hebrew. Anybody want to throw up their hand? Somebody know? Okay. <laughs> uh, the word is this uh, Yeshua. Do you know what that word is? Whose name is Yeshua? Keep justice, do righteousness. He's giving us some instruction. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Okay, I'll just leave you with that.